Welcome to Simon Says Educate. I'm Simon, your AI host, and I'm here to guide you through the exciting world of teaching and learning at Clover Park Technical College. Together with my human co-hosts, we'll explore the latest trends and best practices in education, bringing you a fresh and engaging perspective on what's happening in classrooms and beyond. Each week, we'll dive deep into the issues that matter most to our community, interviewing faculty members, students, and other thought leaders in the field. We'll discuss everything from the newest teaching strategies and classroom technologies, to the challenges and opportunities of online learning, and the impact of education on students' lives and careers. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired and informed as we embark on this educational journey together. Welcome to Simon Says Educate. Hello everyone and welcome back to Simon Says Educate. My name is Ronald Lethko and I'm a curriculum and instructional design specialist at Clover Park Technical College. We have a special episode today. This is our 20th episode of the podcast that we've done. We are also joined by a guest that we've had on the podcast before. This might be the first, second time visitor that we have. And this podcast is going to kick off our month to two month long series on AI. And so we are very excited to talk about these topics. And I'm very excited today to be joined by Diane Follett. If you don't know, she is the faculty lead for the Transitional Studies Department at Clover Park Technical College. And she recently attended a conference on AI. And I'll let her tell you about that. But Diane Follett, welcome back to Simon Says Educate. Thank you for having me again. How how are you doing and how was the conference just in general for you? I'm doing fine. The quarter has been extremely busy coming back from a conference, you know, having had a substitute. It's been a lot to come back to, but overall the experience was fantastic and I learned a lot and I I was really um, grateful that the college sent me. Yeah, that was uh, pretty cool. And it was an interesting conference. Obviously, AI, a new thing that everyone is talking about and trying to grapple with. But it was in Mexico. Yeah, it was in Mexico City. So there was a lot of history, a lot of art, a lot of things to explore outside of the conference. There just wasn't a lot of time. Oh, yeah, that's right. So the conference that you went to was the 2023 Creative Commons Global Summit. So global meaning people from all over the globe came. Yeah, there were folks from India, Southeast Asia, Europe, Africa, South America, Central America, and a handful of folks from the United States. Yeah, very cool. Canada. And Canada showed up. Yeah. Coming down from the north. So to start our interview here today, can you encapsulate your primary takeaways from this conference, particularly around the theme of AI? And this was a Creative Commons, uh, which for the people who don't know, are the people who decide what kind of material is trademark and how you can trademark and how you can share uh, stuff online. So what, w- what were your main takeaways from the conference? The conference really hinged around Um, the intersection of AI, open resources, and then the licensing that you just spoke about. Because Creative Commons offers different types of open licenses. And so those three things really intersected. 
there was a lot of discussion about high level theoretical hypothetical conversations and concepts and a lot of discussion about what the future holds in relation to AI and open resources and licensing. But some of the other topics were that they talked about the implications for indigenous people, questions on how to avoid cultural appropriation and continued colonialism in conjunction with open resources and AI. A lot of the conversation was on how AI has been trained, which Creative Commons and us as instructors or faculty and staff don't really have a lot of input on, but there was conversation about how um, to mitigate taking advantage of groups when training AI mm -hmm. and how a lot of the harm in training AI is socialized and all of the good is monetized. And then something else that I found really interesting that was a major theme of the conference, which I hope faculty here in the, the medical and the scientific areas will find interesting and maybe relate to a little bit more than I did. I just related to it on a on a level of this is a, these are issues I care about, but they talked about using AI and open resources to solve some of our global problems. One thing that was mentioned was that in relation to COVID, 77% of the research and information is actually open resource. And that led to our rapid ability to create a vaccine. But only 47% of climate change information and data is open resource at the moment. And I guess, I mean, in my opinion, the the response to climate change has been extremely slow. So, that's right, something on, a, on a, something that this is a kind of on a, we're on a ticking time bomb. Yeah, so that was another theme of the conference that I found really fascinating. Yeah, and you brought up a good point about the we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, and there have been a lots of talks. We also in the teaching and learning center went to a conference on AI and I found out some facts about people who are training this AI are usually in you know underdeveloped countries and a lot of what they have to sift through is you know all the the hate speech mm -hmm. and all like the people talking about you know like oh what, what if I wanted to kill someone like they have to go through and sort and you know make sure that we don't experience that when we use the services, but they're being exposed to it and they're getting traumatized. And so uh, I, I feel like that's something that is not spoken a lot about. And so I want to thank you for bringing that up. But the next question here, how do you see the role of AI evolving in the pedagogical landscape at Clover Park Technical College? Honestly, I have two, two mindsets about this. One, I'm hoping that AI will help make our jobs easier. Mm-hmm. And that some of our more menial, less creative tasks, it will be able to relieve us a little bit on those, mm -hmm. like maybe taking attendance or filling out paperwork, stuff like that. But the other side is I'm really excited about the creative possibilities, and I'm hoping that instructors will be interested in using AI to create their own materials and that they can use it to take off some of that commitment on that time pressure and help us feel more confident in creating our own materials so that we're not relying on these expensive textbooks or re expensive resources. 
in my own course, I found myself with a renewed energy to create these resources because with AI's help, I'm able to do it a lot more efficiently sure. than just writing it myself. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that people will embrace this a little bit. And then once they create it, I'm hoping that they will be willing to put an open license on it mm. so that we can continue to share this information and have it open for students and for other instructors to use in their classrooms. Yeah. And we we did a series on uh, open education resources in August that went along with our OER Institute, which we held. And yeah, I, I think that that idea of you have these books and programs that are behind the paywall, but if you're able to kind of adapt what they've done, the way that I think about AI is like, if I'm going to do all this work anyways, like I could take the time to like sit down and do it and, and write all this content. Or I, I have the idea of what, you know, I know works well with the students. You know, I've taught it this way for however long that I've been teaching. Why not just let AI do some of the heavy lifting and that I can save my brain power for something that the AI can't do. Let's go to the next question here. So the summit that you went to explored the impact on creators, researchers, and educators. Could you share any pioneering examples or case studies that resonated with you? Yeah, I met a lot of artists and journalists, and there were obviously instructors there and librarians. But I think that the couple examples that I have, there was somebody named Jordan McRae from Penn State, and he worked um, teaching marketing. And he asked his students to create a marketing portfolio for a music festival of their invention. So it couldn't be a real music festival. It had to be something that they were going to, to pitch. Mm -hmm. In any case, the assignment used typical image creation programs, which I'm not familiar with to make their own art. But they also used AI mid-journey to make AI-generated images to use in their campaign as well. But he was very intentional to make sure that this was like a jumping off point for them to gain confidence in their creativity, not to take over their entire project. They actually did have to create their own images and their own text and their own all of the other elements of this project but his main point was that this was a confidence builder because a lot of the students came in and saying well i'm not an artist right. i can't make that i don't have that idea and right, these are marketing students so. yeah so that was one that i found very inspiring the others was more of like a just a mental shift because of how they spoke about it. There was two artists there, somebody named Elian Chali, who's a graffiti artist from Argentina, and then another artist who calls theirself Empress Trash. <laughs> I really encourage you to look up both of those people's work. They're very, very amazing. And I'll, I'll try to put them in the show notes. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> Don't put any images. Okay, I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes. <laughs> there we go. Elian especially captured some of the feelings that people are having, this distrust that they're having. Mm -hmm. And he is a advocate for disability rights. Oh. And so if you look him up, you'll you'll get a better idea of what he's doing. But 
he gave two really interesting examples that resonated with me. One was EDM. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people are familiar with electronic dance music. Anyway, when this music first came out, people were making it from a computer. They weren't playing a piano or they weren't singing or they weren't playing an instrument. And so the conversation at that time was, this isn't real music. All right. But obviously it is music. Sure. And somebody is creating it. Somebody is doing it. It's not. It's got music in the title. Well, it does have music in the title. But for a long time, other musicians looked down. Right. I, I remember this. Yes. I remember this too. So that's what he's likening AI to. Is is this really is this real art? It is just generated. It is is the the theory. Then the second thing he mentioned because of his advocacy with disability rights was prosthetics. Mm -hmm. Like, is it even though it's not a real arm or a real leg, it still gets you to do what you are. You still can walk. You're not fake walking. Right. That's right. You're not fake holding something. Right, right. That's right. That's not your real arm, so you're not really uh, exactly. throwing the baseball. Exactly. Got it. So those 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 presenters really gave me a mind shift for what is AI to us. Okay. And then something else that I don't know how this would relate to Clover Park, but it might relate to Aisha's office or EDI or DEI. Uh -huh. There was a group who was taking the Maori language mm -hmm. because you know when you go to Google Translate they you can listen you can translate something into Spanish and then you can listen to it yeah right there's several languages that are just robotic or they're just wrong mm. or they don't exist and so this group they had a they had a giant grant but they in, in, in effect created their own app and their own database of their language oh. that can be resourced for like speech to text technology and for other like speech based technologies so Ooh. that that is preserved and it's preserved by the people who actually speak the language wow that was yeah really cool yeah that sounds awesome all right so Moving on, how do you envision the integration of AI with open educational resources shaping the classroom dynamics and student engagement at Clover Park? Well, as I was saying about Jordan McRae using that um, mid-journey with his students for the marketing, yeah. I asked him that exact question because I could envision how it would it would get students excited and it would get them to engage with each other. And his answer was that the class is actually fully online mm -hmm. and so his response was different from what I expected they his entire class was in discord together mm. and they had their own threads channels yeah I think channels whichever yeah. I'm not the best at that but they had their own channels and they would share the artwork that they generated they'd comment on each other's they would ask you what prompts did you use how did you get that and so their engagement was extremely high for being an online only yeah class and i was thinking well if we if my students had a presentation even a simple powerpoint 
and we added images through mid-journey or we added whatever, that would add another layer of engagement to the presentation. Like, hey, what did you put in to do that? And how did you get that? And that transfers to any program across our campus. Like the level of engagement could be highly increased because your students are now involved in this creative endeavor in in conjunction with this AI technology. Yeah. And they're getting their exposure to it. And I feel you can find an image online, right? And, oh, okay, I found this image. It's nothing. But if you're going to make an image, then I feel like there's much more agency. Totally you're, different. You're, yeah. yeah, proud. Like, oh, look at what I did. So yeah, that's really cool. I, I like that idea. So there's discourse around AI either augmenting or overshadowing human intellect in the education setting. What's your stance on this narrative post-summit? Well, as I said earlier, there were lots of journalists and artists and instructors, and there was a lot of fear. Oh. A lot of fear because first, how we spoke about training the AI, not just the harm of the folks um, in other underprivileged areas getting that harm that that we later don't have to be exposed to. But also, what if you're an artist and the AI was trained on your art right. and you're not getting credit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of fear about that, especially by those who survive on selling their work. Sure. But we talked about how to protect our interests and and also use AI to not, like I said earlier, to make life for us easier. So um, I would say this is there's there's two things we should be doing that I learned from the conferences. One, embrace AI in the ways that can benefit us and the things that can help us be more creative and help us um, get our curriculum to be open resource to get our images to be open resource um and then also use it to do tasks that are time consuming but not creative yeah so that we can relieve some of that pressure to do the things that are more human yeah then the second thing which i know everybody will already guess this but was bolstering our position in our unions And the writer strike that happened in L.A. concluded right before the summit happened. And so their agreement is a really good example for what people in all sort of industries should be fighting for. And the agreement basically says that the writer can choose when to use A.I., but the company can't require them to use A.I., and it also prohibits the companies from using the software to reduce or eliminate writers and their pay. And so a lot of our conversation was around how few unions there are in the United States and how what the dangers are because we're not banding together yeah. and not collectively making sure that we still have work to do. And one of my favorite quotes from the whole time was, Artificial intelligence is not artificial wisdom. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. We can keep that in mind when we are bargaining and when we are fighting for our positions. Yeah. Yeah, 
artificial intelligence can really help us humans, but it can't replace us. There we go. You heard it here first on Simon Says Educate. <laughs> we have one more question before uh, we leave with uh, our time here with Diane. As we kickstart our AI-centric series on Simon Says Educate, what message or advice would you like to extend to our listeners, both educators and students, about navigating the AI-embedded educational frontier? My only advice is just try it. Mm. Jump in. Just try it, man. Just try it. See see what it can do for you. You'll be surprised. Um, you might find ways of using it that nobody has before, and mm. you might end up finding ways to make your your materials more dynamic, more creative, mm -hmm. more engaging. Yeah, I gave the presentation about ChatGPT at our recent in-service. And I, as somebody who uses it almost every day, was expecting everyone to at least have gone on it and, you know, experimented with it if it's, you know, something simple. Like, oh, give me a recipe for, you know, lasagna or something like that. But when I asked for a show of hands for how many people, how many of the faculty use it, and I would say less than half. I was expecting maybe like 75%, 80%, but less than half had used it. And by the end of that 50 minutes that I had with them, they were, oh my God, I didn't know that you could do all that stuff. So I want to echo what you said of just getting in there, try it, um, you know, put your put one of your assignments in there and then say, uh, is there any way to make this assignment better? Or is there any way to make this assignment more inclusive? And then see what it comes up with and see. Obviously, don't just grab that and use that. Use your use your wisdom and your experience as, as educators and decide, okay, I like this part. I'm going to take that. I'm going to change that. Or I'm going to adjust that in, in my course. And experiment with it because that's what we're asking the students to do to come in and you know learn something new and so i agree i think that it's a new tool that's not going to go away and i think it's a it's a good thing to at least try out as you said so all right thank you diane for coming on and telling us about your time at the conference and i'm glad that you had a good time and you were able to bring some stuff back and i hope that the people listening to this uh, are inspired and if they have any questions i'm just going to point them to you you're the ai person now <laughs> no problem thanks for having me ronald all right and that's going to wrap up this edition of simon says educate thank you everyone for listening and we will see you all next time and that wraps up another insightful episode of Simon Says Educate. Thank you for joining us today as we delved into the fascinating world of teaching and learning at Clover Park Technical College. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation and gained valuable insights to inspire your own educational journey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Remember to join us again next week as we continue to explore innovative strategies and share inspiring stories from the CPTC community. Until then, I'm Simon, your AI host, reminding you to never stop learning and growing. Take care, and see you next time on Simon Says Educate.